Job tonight. It's 42 chapters we're going to try to cover. Uh, luckily, we're going to summarize a couple of those chapters. Uh, so this should go smooth and quick. Uh, and so before we jump in, I kind of want to lay the foundation a little bit for, for where we're going. Um, so a couple years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Ethan, who's actually here tonight, he, we were just talking. I was reading uh, a few different things, and he told me about the short story that he had read. And the short story, um, I don't remember much of it, but I remember the point of it. And the point of the short story was that... Um, and this is going to be weird, and I'm sorry, but it, it's not that weird. Uh, is, is a woman less beautiful to a doctor who understands the mechanics of her body and understands the way that it works to the degree that it loses the awe and the beauty and the wonder? And so the idea that was being posed is the more that you actually understand and know or think you know, does that thing actually become less like wonderful and beautiful and awe-inspiring? And so that sort of leads me to where, what I just want to say to you before we jump into this. And as we wrestle through a lot of these, because some of y'all voted that we preach about predestination and free will, and I hate you for that. Um, but as we're talking about some of these over the course of the semester, which are going to be more difficult topics to handle, um, they're going to be a little more intellectually sort of aggressive. They're going to be a little more pushy and challenging to not just what you think, but what you understand about the character of God, and last week is a great example of that. As you are wrestling with these complex questions and these complex ideas, I am begging you with all of my heart to not take simple answers that will do away with the trouble that some of these issues raise in you. So I think these issues may raise trouble. They, they trouble you a little bit. Like how do I reconcile a God of love and a God of wrath? How do I reconcile that God is fully sovereign and has complete control, but it looks like humans have some sort of freedom here? How do I reconcile these things? How do I reconcile suffering in God's goodness? How do I reconcile? Because I think what our temptation is, is that if we can just read enough or think enough or suppress enough ideas that we won't have to deal with the trouble that they cause, and so we will take simple answers for complex things and I think we lose the majesty and the wonder and the awe and the beauty that our lack of knowledge is actually supposed to raise and maybe not our lack of knowledge but our inability to reconcile even though we are knowing more and more and so I think you see this at the scientific level as well we are having the same problem. The deeper we get into like subatomic particles, the laws that govern physics, it's not that our instrumentation in measuring how subatomic particles work is getting bad. It's that they're getting better, and the better they get, the more irreconcilable our understanding of the universe is becoming. So it's the more we know, the less answers that we actually have. And that is intended to create wonder and awe. 
at the theological, at the scientific level, at the natural level, at every level. And so I would say, before we jump into this, um, as you're thinking about last week, as you're thinking about next week, please, with all of my heart, do not take simple answers to try to explain what's going on in your life and in this world. Study and read and pursue with a heart of humility and let that lead to wonder and awe because I think that's what it's intended to do. So don't just jump on some easy explanation of anything because it's probably, it's probably lacking in something. So I, I want to say that and then we're going to jump into Job. So I'm going to read the first two chapters. I'm going to summarize the next uh, 40 and then read the last two. So let's get started. Oh, how many of you are familiar with the story of Job? You have a degree of familiarity with Job and what happens to him. Okay, a little bit. How many have read the entire book of Job? Come on now. Okay. All right. How many, and I don't mean to call you out, have no idea who the heck this guy is? Okay, come on. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. Okay, good, good, good. Let's do this then. Uh, set the stage before we start reading. Job is a piece of literature that's called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is like the Proverbs, the Psalms. Um, it's poetry too. They, they lump poetry and wisdom together. Um, this could be historical. It might not be historical. We're really not sure. What we understand is the author is trying to convey some ideas using the narrative of these terrible things that happens to Job along with the dialogue that Job then has with his friends as they try to reconcile what just happened to Job. And the idea is that uh, we are supposed to understand who God is more by the time we get to the end of it. And he's dismantling some ancient views about the way that suffering, justice, and God fit together. That's basically the premise of this thing. Um, and so we'll read the narrative, we'll summarize the dialogue, and then we'll read God's part at the end when he goes nuts on Job. Um, and then we'll try to lump that into something that means something, right? So let's go. We're going to start in Job 1. Get a, I would recommend, there's not going to be anything on the screen, get a Bible. It's going to be helpful if you read also. And you women, don't try to jump back into Esther, even though it's right there. <laughs> Stick with me and Job here. I know you love Esther. Okay, sorry. We're actually going to start. This is Job 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, Thus Job did continually. Basically just saying, just in case his kids were acting crazy the night before, he would actually sacrifice some of his animals 
for the sake of his children, uh, hoping that he would cover their sins in case anything happened. Just saying that is a good and upright man, loved his family, um, and cared about God. Cared about God. Now there was a day when the sons of God, I don't know what that means, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So really quickly, I want you to notice this was not Satan's idea. He says, what have you been doing? He's like, I've been roaming around the earth. And he says, you thought about Job? So you have to, at the first onset, if your theology of suffering is that it's all Satan's fault, this immediately, immediately the text says, it's too simple, you can't go there. It's too simple, you can't go there. Right? So what happens? Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and this is ridiculous. He worshiped and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Okay, that should, if you're human, it should trouble you. 
if you're human, that should run across you and be like, what the heck are you doing, God? What's, what is, what's going on? And then Job's response should trouble you. Is this guy a machine? A robot? Like, who says that? Immediately, there's no second thought. Everything in a moment that he has worked his life for is taken away, and he falls on the ground, and he worships, and immediately, the Lord gave it, and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Crazy. The first thing I want you to see before we jump into Job 2, one, God initiated Job. Not initiated. God is the one that gave Satan the idea about Job. Two, I want you to see the accusation. We need to understand there's accusations going on in heaven about God from Satan. That this really isn't about Job. It's that Satan has come and said, the way that you operate is wrong. The way that you operate is wrong. The only reason he's righteous, the only reason he wants to do right by you, the only reason he wants to conform to your character, the only reason he wants to be a good man is because he'll get your stuff for it. So if you take away the stuff that you gave him, he's going to curse you. So you've got Satan from the outset saying, the way that you operate is wrong because all it does is, and it's, ex- and it's exchange for goods. It's an exchange of worship for goods. So he says, the way that you're doing this is wrong. This is just an exchange of goods. You're just trying to get worship and righteousness out of him, and you know you can give him stuff, and he'll give that to you, and the only reason he's actually doing that is so he can get your stuff. So there's this accusation about the way that God is operating, about the way that God balances provision, um, blessing, and righteousness and wickedness, and justice is all locked up in there. But from the heavenly standpoint, Satan's accusation is, you're just exchanging worship for goods here. This is just an exchange. Okay, so you need to see that that is the accusation, the first accusation made against God. Okay, so let's move. Again, this is chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, "Uh, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet, sole of his foot to the, the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay. So I think what the author's doing here is the author wants you to feel the suffering of Job. He also doesn't allow you to take hold of any simplistic explanation about what's going on here. He is forcing you by the narrative to see you cannot put some simple blame on somebody and then just walk away from the suffering here. This looks like gratuitous suffering for no reason at all. That even God says it. You incited him against me for no reason at all. So, so it looks like and it feels like and there's nothing you can search out or find out to explain why this suffering is happening. There's no good reason. So that's why I call it gratuitous suffering. That's what gratuitous means. Gratuitous just means meaningless. This is meaningless suffering. And the author wants you to feel it. He wants you to feel that. So interesting story just so you can sort of start walking with this because I think this has happened to all of us uh, to varying degrees I think there have been times and places in your life where there have been things that have happened to you for absolutely no reason at all absolutely no reason at all you have no reason to explain why this bad thing is happening and you wish you could come up with a really good explanation right so some of you know a bit of my story I didn't become a believer I was I was 22 before I was 22 I spent a little bit of time um just trying to do drugs occasionally um, and got into like harder and harder drugs as I went along, ended up going to jail a few times for it, just did a lot of stupid things that really screwed up my family and screwed me up um, until I came to this breaking point. The fifth time in jail, I actually read the New Testament uh, and the Lord started working on me over the course of six months. Um, the Lord like saved me from everything and... Um, when I was 22, completely submitted everything to him and started trying to follow him, right? Started trying to follow him. Um, was in a little small group, was cutting ties with a lot of my friends and what we were doing, uh, still being friends with him, but trying to mitigate a lot of the things that I, w I was doing with him. Um, and then I get this call to come and be a youth pastor up here. So I get up here, I've been a believer for about a year at that time, a little church on the south side of town. Uh, I've been planning to take like, five kids, five youth kids to a, a mission trip. I never really led a mission trip before. I'd just been a believer for like a year. Um, and then I get uh, on that mission trip and I get a phone call. And on that phone call, um, I was on felony probation at the time. I thought everything was cool with me leaving town, but they called up and they said, hey, it's not cool that you leave town. It's actually not cool that you moved to a different city. You violated your probation. Um, you're going to have to come back and go to jail. Something along those lines. And I'm like, seriously, God? Like, seriously, what are you doing? Uh, over the course of the next three weeks, that whole thing gets overturned and resolved. And so I'm like, my probation gets dropped. Everything is cool. I'm like, sweet. So I begin at that time trying to work through all of my um, all of my legal troubles so that nothing crazy happens again. Along the way, I get a job here. Uh, this is about three years later. I get a job here. I had had this job for a few months. 
as doing Crosspoint College Pastor. Um, and then uh, me and Lauren uh, are going to look for a couch. And so we find this couch at Johnson's Furniture. Um, and we're like, yeah, we kind of like that. I drop her back off at work. I call up Johnson's Furniture. Um, and I'm driving just down the road here. Uh, and I pass Regay Elementary on my phone at 2.01 p.m., which is one minute after the school zone starts. I got Johnson Furniture on the phone. I'm like, hey, can you hold that couch for me? And then the lights come on, and I get pulled over, right? Like one minute after the, the, the um, school zone starts. And this is the first time in my life that I'm like, <laughs> come on. What are you going to do, give me a ticket? Like, <laughs> I don't care. Like, I've got no weed in the car. I've got no cocaine in the car. I've got no outstanding charges. Like, I'm golden. Like, I'm feeling good about getting pulled over. Like, this is the first time that I'm like, you've got nothing on me, man. Like, give me a ticket about a cell phone. I don't care. Right? So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. And thought everything was reconciled. And he says, hey, and I, you know, tell him I'm the pastor. And that's even better sounding. He goes, he's like, I'm going to run your license, probably just give you a warning. And I'm like, sweet. Runs my license, comes back, and then he says these words that I'd heard several times before. Excuse me, sir, can you step out of the car, please? He doesn't say anything else. He says, can you face that way? He puts handcuffs on me, throws me in the cop car, and then Kyle easily drives by. (laughs) Right? And he's like, I wonder what's wrong with Terrell. I get taken to jail, Nacogdoches, uh, the, city, the city jail, um, over on, it was on, not on Main Street, yeah, it's on Main Street. Um, what I find out, that my license had been suspended for six months, I didn't know anything about it because of this $250 fine that I didn't pay and they were sending these uh, notices to the wrong address. And I'm sitting in jail, mad, mad. I have been trying to follow you and do this thing right. I have given up everything, everything. I have laid down in front of you and said, you can do whatever you want. I'm trying to walk this thing out. I am not being stupid anymore. I'm not going and buying cocaine on the weekends. Right? I'm not doing that anymore. I've walked away from all that. I've lost friends because of this thing. I've lost most of my friends because of this thing. And now I'm trying to walk this out. And what are you, you could have changed, like 201? Seriously, like 201. You're going to do this at 201. Like in one minute? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm so mad and cannot understand what's going on. I think I'm about to get fired. I think I'm just going to look like an idiot, like, oh my, they hired this guy. He's been to jail five times. Of course he's going to go six times. Like, what do we hire this guy for? Right? I am just in a place where I don't understand what's going on. And I'm so, so tired of trying to walk this thing out and do it right. And this is sort of the payment. Like, well done, good and faithful servant. Get in the cop car. Right? It's like this gratuitous sort of suffering. You don't know why. You don't have a good reason. And it just makes you mad. It just makes you mad. And so the author wants you to feel that this is what's going on with Job, but to a way higher level than that. 
way higher than any of you have experienced, but it's still the same thing. You've experienced things in your life that are suffering for no reason. No good explanation. And what the first thing the author wants you to see is there's not a good explanation. And secondly, that Job is a righteous man who did not sin with his lips. So then the story continues. And let's summarize this next part. His three friends show up and they want to comfort him. So Job's three friends show up and for seven days they sit there while he weeps and they don't say a word. That they mourned with him. And they weep together for seven days. At the end of seven days, they start talking. And the way the next 38 chapters is going to play out is one of his friends is going to say something. Job's going to respond. The next friend's going to say something. Job's going to respond. The next friend's going to say something. Job's going to respond. And then they're going to do it all over again. The next friend's going to say, the first friend's going to say something. Job's going to respond. Friend again, response. Friend again, response. And then it's going to happen again. Eliphaz, and then Bildad. But then the third time around, Zophar doesn't speak, and I really don't get that. So the third friend only got to talk twice, but everyone else got to talk three times. And then in between every statement made by the friends is Job's response to them. And so what you see as these dialogues progress, and if you start putting them together, you sort of see how this is progressing. And I'm really trying to sum this up. Like I made like eight people come into the church and I was like, hey, I want you to read these 38 chapters, break up into teams and read the 38 chapters. Let's try to map out this dialogue. It was super helpful, but it was really ridiculous. And I'm glad y'all did it and not me. So, but it was, it was nice to see how this thing progressed. But what you see in the progression is they have a simplistic explanation of why suffering works. Because every person on the planet needs a good explanation. I needed an explanation about why that happened to me. I need an explanation why I'm in jail and why you're doing this to me. I need you to explain something to me. We all need explanations for these things. We need something. We need to understand the mechanics of the universe so that we can have some sort of comfort in how this thing is playing out. Every culture has had some explanation for how deity can exist and how suffering can exist. Every culture has tried to play out why bad things happen to good people and why good people I mean, and, and why good things happen to bad people. We've all seen that, right? And so what these friends come along to do is try to reconcile what's gone on here. So every culture has tried to do this, right? When you get to the Far East, it's more like karma. It's an impersonal force where you get what, what's coming around to you. Depending on which variation of karma you're looking at, sometimes it's a little more it's a little more forceful. It's a little more like fate. But depending on which Eastern country you get into, the notion of karma is that the, 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 what goes around comes around. You're going to get what you deserve. That sort of tit-for-tat sort of mentality about justice. You get a little more into the Near East, and all they do is personalize karma. Karma gets put on God. So when you get to the Near East, when this was written, you're getting what's called a retribution um, principle. It's just like karma except for it's God who is a personal force who does it. You've got God who is just and sees all things, is going to administer justice to the wicked, and he's going to administer good things to the good people. So that is the notion that's playing in here. And I want you to understand that these three, these three friends of Job have this mentality of what's called retribution principle. That's just what the, the way they operate. That's how they rationalize this thing. 
the rest of the book of Job is a dialogue that's going to dismantle this simplistic retribution principle and replace it with something else. That's what this is about. So the way the dialogue goes is simply this. Job, wicked people will receive justice from the Lord because God is just. If you're good, you'll get good. If you're bad, you'll get bad. That's the way this thing works. So, you must have been wicked. And then, along the way, they become more and more aggressive with their accusations about his wickedness. And Job's response is, no, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything to, to make this happen. I didn't do anything. This, is, this, is, uh, this suffering is out of nowhere. I've done nothing to receive this. And so the friends are like, you had to have done suffering because God is just. Therefore, he does this to those who are wicked. So there must be some sort of wickedness. And, and then so Job's response then becomes, no, no, no. You've seen it where the wicked prosper and the good suffer. You've seen that. And then so they turn it back on him and they say, well, maybe you got rich off of the wickedness that you did to other people. Maybe you withheld wages from your laborers. Maybe you were ex uh, extorting people out of money. So they're saying, okay, so you must have been that. You must have been the wicked who prospered, and then this is God's judgment upon you. And he progressively gets more and more and more adamant about his innocence, and over the course of these, like, 30 chapters, his friends are getting more and more adamant that the retribution principle has to be in play. There's got to be something about the God of justice administering justice here because you did something bad. And his response every time is, no, 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 I've done nothing wrong. And then what you see happen right here towards the end of these 38 chapters, God then, or Job then turns to God and says, I didn't do anything wrong. You are unjust for doing this to me. So at first, he was just declaring innocence. And now you have Satan accusing God that he doesn't know how to operate. You have the three friends accusing God about the way that he oper operates. And now you have Job, the third party, accusing God on the way that he operates. Right. So he has gone from I've innocent and done nothing to I have done nothing wrong. You are unjust and if I am wrong about this, then strike me dead. And if I'm right, don't do anything. So he puts sort of God in this corner where if God doesn't kill him, he looks like he's right. And that's where the final dialogue about Job lands. So his three friends really represent this thing called retribution principle. God is just. The bad get bad and the good get good. And then there comes this one friend named Elihu. He comes out of nowhere and he represents what we think is the Israelite mentality. He adds a little bit of nuance to what they're saying. Maybe he's not being disciplined. Maybe he's just being punished. And most of what Elihu says is right. And that leads into this last bit, this last bit that I want to read. All of that dialogue 
the dismantling of how God can be just and how God can be righteous and all these things, all of that, all of the accusations lead to this final sort of culmination. And Job 38 is where we're gonna start. And this is where God answers Job like verbally. And I wanna read this, right? And I don't want you to think for a moment that Job's accusation means he's not righteous. That's not the way the author plays this out. The author plays it out in he's a righteous man who has just been pushed to justifying himself in front of God. Okay, so here goes Job 38. We're going, to read, we're going to read a lot, so bear with me for a second, okay? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and said, bars and doors and said thus far shall you come and no further and here shall your proud waves be stayed have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it it is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment from the wicked their light is withheld and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and where is the place of darkness that you may take it to its territory that you may discern the paths to its home? You know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft a channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on a land where no man is, on the desert in which there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone, and the face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind with chains the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season, and can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? 
Can you establish their rule on the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens? When the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together. Okay. So first God is super sarcastic. What's going on? This is exactly what's going on. Satan's explanation about the way the system that God has for rewarding righteousness and punishing wickedness. The three friends and the system that they have that explains why suffering happens and gives us this good explanation of how suffering happens and God can still be good and God is just, you must have done something wrong. Or Job's explanation, his accusation of I'm, you just must be unjust because I've done nothing to deserve this. So you just must be unjust. He just lets his anger go. You just must be unjust. All of them have a system that they want to use to explain the way that God works. They need an order to the universe so that they can understand in black and white terms how to operate in this universe. They need a direct ordered mechanism that says, if you do this, this comes out. If you do this, this comes out. So you better do this so you get the good stuff. So everyone, when suffering hits, we need some sort of explanation that we can then lean into and say, okay, I understand now why this suffering happened. I must have done something wrong. Or I understand now why this suffering happened. God is a jerk. Or I understand now what's going on here. So that we can look behind the universe and see some order to it in the way that justice is going to be distributed. We need some sort of mechanism that says yes, Bad people that have treated you poorly are going to be judged, and good people that do good things are going to get good things. It is unjust in our mind if good people get bad things and bad people get good things, and so we need some sort of mechanism or some sort of order behind the universe that when this thing all comes crumbling down and we see the Lord, he's just going to give the bad to the bad and give the good to the good, and we'll say, oh, justice. And so what they want is order in the system that explains why things happen. So something bad has happened, and we need some order here to explain this. I need a black and white explanation of this. I need a systematic, mechanized explanation. And so God comes to the end of their dialogue and does not answer a thing. He doesn't answer a thing. Where were you when I made all of this? Can you lead the constellations out across the sky? Can you tell the sea where to stop? Do you know how ice even works? Where were you? You understand you've been making accusations, so tell me about it. What he's saying is this. When you pull the curtain back, there's no mechanism. It's me. The 
order that you see in the universe springs from me. The beauty you see in the universe springs from me. Everything that you see in the universe is not like a fancy clock that I made and I've initiated into motion, I've stepped back, and now it's just working. Everything that is made is upheld and directed. Every bit of order, every bit of justice, every bit of mercy, every bit of beauty, it springs forth from me and I'm the foundation for it. So you don't get to pull back the curtain and say, oh, here's the little justice mechanism and here's how it works and here's how we can understand this and that is just wonderful. What happens is you pull back the curtain and there is a God that you don't understand, that you can't get your head around, that you can't even get your head around enough to minimize him and put him in a box that says he's going to work this way, he's going to do this if I do this, and he's not going to do this if I do this. What he's saying is pull back the curtain and you get me. You get the order that I bring forth. There's no mechanism here. And I think you see this over and over in the way that even Jesus talks. Jesus doesn't say things like, I know the way to heaven. He said the way to heaven is me. He doesn't say I can tell you how to love. He said, love is me. Everything at the foundation of all of our existence, we're going to pull back and not see any mechanisms. We're going to get the God of creation that we don't comprehend and just the sight of him initiates worship and fear. So he jumps into this and then here's what Job says back to him. He says this in 40. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then God goes at him again. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this quickly. He just does it again. Dress for action like a man, and I will question you. You make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Can you adorn yourself with majesty and dignity? Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And then he goes into these huge creatures the behemoth and the leviathan. And he says, will you put a fish hook in their nose? Will you give them to your daughters to play with? Over and over, he draws out these two huge creatures that we don't know what they are. And as I understand it, in ancient Near Eastern texts, these are the two animals that are associated with like spiritual disorder. So in the way that we associate snakes to Satan, they associate 
the Leviathan and the behemoth to that. And so what he's saying as he goes at Job again is, can you bring order where there is no order? And then can you defend order from chaos? Can you stop the things that would encroach in on this disorder? Do you even know what this is about? And so you get to the end point of this, and I think you'll see when we read 42. What God is saying, like I said, is you pull back the curtain, and there's no mechanisms. It's just Him. And the overflowings of His creativity, the overflowings of His beauty, the overflowing of order, the overflowing of mercy, the overflowing of justice, the overflowing of grace, the overflowing of provision, all that we understand that life to be is an overflowing of what he is doing and upholding and guiding. So what I want you to see really quickly in 42, Job answers the Lord and says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? It's me. Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I'll question you. You make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearings of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He's repenting of his accusations towards God. He was righteous. He started to lean into self-justification. And now he's acknowledging before God, I have nothing to say to you. I have nothing. I'm humbled in front of you. I have nothing to go at. I, I can't go at you. I don't do any of those things. The answer to all of them is no, I don't get it. And so I'm silent before you. And then he turns, so Job silenced before before the Lord. Um, And then you get to his friends. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls, seven rams, go to Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So what happens? The friends, watch this, silenced. And then what happens? And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy, comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And then he goes into some other things. And so what you might think is Job did good. He got more stuff again. So that Satan, the accuser, in the beginning is just right about this whole thing. And so what I think you see from here is that Satan, the accuser, is not present here. And so what happens and what we see is Satan is silenced in this, in that Job does not get these things because he did right. We even see that Job begins to lean into sin. He finds himself speechless before the Lord. And the Lord restores the fortunes of Job once again out of the overflowings of his provision and the overflowings of his blessing, not because he's trying to garner worship from Job. Had Job actually done what his wife said and looked at God and said, you know what, I do curse you to your face. Screw you, man, I'm out. 
then the accuser would have been right. But the accuser is silenced because in everything that Job did, they make it very clear at the beginning that he did not sin with his lips. He just began to lean into anger because he didn't get this thing. And so the accuser is silenced as well. And so what you have is every mechanism behind the way we want to say that God operates or should operate is silenced because everything he does is according to the counsel of his wisdom and it's beautiful and right and good. And so here's what I want to stop and apply this really fast. My fear is that you read this and you come away with, God, are you just playing games with us? Are you just playing games with us? Like, you would put him through all that? You would do that? And so what I want us to stop and understand is in our struggling to understand answers and in our pursuit of trying to understand the way that this thing works and why suffering is what it is and life is what it is, the first place we have to begin is humility. That we do not get this thing. We don't understand why anything works the way that it works. And the more we begin to grow in our knowledge, that knowledge actually produces less and less understanding of the fundamental nature of reality. And so as we pursue in this, we've got to first understand where is it in you that pride swells up, where you get puffed up, where is it that you feel like you are better than the person next to you? Where is it that you feel like I'm cool and I'm okay here and I can stand before God blameless? Where is it in you where humility is not the driving force of your life that says, God, you do what you please with me and I trust you to go about doing it? So where is it in you that pride begins to swell and you get puffed up? Where is that? And so as you think about that, the thing that I would say finally is this. If we only take the book of Job as our understanding of God, we will get a skewed vision of who God is. We'll get a skewed vision. So let me put it this way. When this thing does end and we stand before the Lord and all of the past and all of the future is played out and we get to see justice administered and we get to see grace administered one thing that I'm quite certain of especially that Ephesians 1 and 2 tells us is that we are going to be overwhelmed by the graciousness of God in his administration of justice. I think the same overwhelming bit and sense of grace, I, I, think, we, I think you have to go be, I, okay. The people that knew who Jesus was, the people that knew who Jesus was, take his mother, John, and a few of his disciples, I want you to imagine for a moment that they know who this is, that this is the God who made everything. This is, this is God himself. And imagine the overwhelming sense of 
awe when they see this being who they understand to be the creator who has willingly gone and been nailed to a cross. So they look in this guy's eyes who saw the formation of the universe, who understands how every single thing that we understand life to work, and he upholds all things. He even upholds the cross that he's on. I want you to think about the overwhelming sense of grace and awe that these people must have felt as they watched him on the cross and they watched what he was willing to do for the sake of mankind so we have to take that and balance it against God and not just balance it but understand the extremities of both of these God is extreme in the way that he views grace and the way that he administers justice and so we've got to hold these things together we have to hold these things together and understand and come with humility but not because God is like Shut up. You don't know how to make hippopotamuses. Like he, he's, he's not got his boot in your face saying, shut up, you don't get this, now don't talk. He's saying, you don't get this. I want to reveal all to you. Now trust me and let's go. Okay? If you do humility that produces anger, it is not a correct view of the Lord. If you do humility that produces frustration, it's not a correct view of the Lord. If you do humility that produces anything other than trust, then you've still got a skewed picture of who this God is. And I would say keep on searching. Keep on looking. And don't stop trying to understand the way that He is. But do it, please, with this understanding that we are finite simple-minded creatures and he breathes our very life into existence so that we enter this thing with humility and trust and we seek out everything that he has for us but humility and anything else is not going to be the way to life